You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Hi guys, it's Pastor Brandon, the lead pastor of Redemption City Church, and you're about to listen to another exhortation from our ministry. We talk about this every time our sermons start, so let's do something different today. Are you excited? No, I'm being serious. Are you excited to hear the Word of God? Literally, the words of God. God up there in heaven, getting ready to talk to you for free. Doesn't charge you anything. When I was growing up, I loved Power Rangers. I loved Hercules. I loved all the Greek mythological creatures and all that. Do you know that we serve a God who, who, who doesn't stay up in the heavens? He doesn't live up in Athens. He lives and dwells right amongst us. He left heaven and came on earth, left his son, left us with the Holy Spirit, left us with the words of God, which represents his thoughts. That's that's incredible. So I don't know about you, but that gets me pumped up. So for the next hour or so, we're going to hear from the creator of all things. Enough said. Let's go. Oh yeah, it's Bible time. Let's get ready to grind. If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, let's open them to the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to be all in that text, and I mean it in a real way in just a little bit. As we continue for it now in our Jonah series, I just want to remind you that this story is all about God's compassion, right, and, and our opportunity. We get this radical opportunity to join him in it. And, and today, I really want to just kind of establish kind of for the remainder of our Jonah series, our faithful aim as we march through this, this series. Okay, so, so here it is. The, the Old Testament, we're in the Old Testament now, it's legit. The Old Testament and the stories that often seem outlandish and distant and, and far and totally removed from our kind of normal everyday experience, that it seems kind of far from our culture, are altogether practical and, and relevant and infinitely important for our everyday lives as Bible-believing Christ-exalting Christians. And, and the book of Jonah specifically has been revealed to us by God, for God. It, it's, it's, there's a joy awaiting us if we lean in with softened hearts and, and open minds, and, and if we come with great circumspection into the Word of God. And, and the thing that we are going to have to watch and avoid is the danger and the trappings of our unforgiving and our sometimes hostile heart towards God and those who He deems and who he desires to pursue and offer redemption. Therefore, the aim of quick obedience, right? That's going to be a big aim, the aim of quick obedience to the things that God calls us to instead of delayed obedience, which is a really fancy way of saying disobedience is going to be our aim as we learn through the text to see what God has for us. Now, now last week in part one of our Jonah series titled Foundations and Very Serious Proclamations, we learned that there are still some churches that teach the Bible. And what that means is they teach line upon line and precept upon precept and theme upon theme and book upon book and verse upon verse. And they give God the glory, praise Christ, all along the way. And RCC 
Folks, we aim to be that that kind of a church within our community. We learn that it is so infinitely critical and valuable for us to all become daily lovers of God's Word. we got to love God's Word in such a way that we treat it like an amber alert, very serious alarm-like system, folks, when we enter into the Word of God. We learn that if we truly seek God's Word with our whole heart, mind, and soul, and we do what it says, Man, we're going to have radical success in our lives, and that's going to be through the framework of in light of eternity. We learned that the story of Jonah, it picks up about 800 years prior to Jesus during the Syrian and the Babylonian reign, and you got guys like Isaiah and Amos and Obadiah on the scene, and and, and it's a a really, really, really impactful time in, in the biblical narrative that God has given us. We learned that the story of Jonah finds itself illustrating what Paul communicates in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 regarding God's compassion to save all while we were still sinners. And and that truth and that beauty, folks, the whole gospel stands upon that reality. We want the main character that God focuses on in this historical count in the book of Jonah is it's not the the fish, it's not the Ninevites, it's not Jonah, folks, it's, it's God himself. Like 38 times we learn that God draws attention to himself in the book of Jonah and that he declared right within verse one of the book of Jonah that it all starts with him. Him alone. Remember that? Like, we learned that he breathes life into situations. Like, he initiates new stories and he, and he calls us into new journeys. Folks, God really is behind it all. We learned that the book of Jonah often comes under great and disproportionate scrutiny about whether it's a true story historically. Yet, yet I declared that, we're, we, that we wouldn't primarily get distracted with that because, because it's really meaningless to the implications of what God has for us in our everyday lives. We learned that there's going to be five critical themes that we're going to focus on as a church as we walk through the Jonah series. And let me just kind of state those for us again. There's, there's five of them. One is we're going to be thinking through how God speaks to us and how he's always radically seeking after us. He speaks to us and he seeks after us. We're going to see that even today in a real way. We're going to be learning through the theme and the framework that God is so incredibly patient towards his children. We're going to see how he does that in this incredible patience that he demonstrates. We're going to be learning through the theme and the framework that man usually has a bent towards faulty rebellion and judgmentalism in the face of seeing the weakness or the fragility or the sin nature of of their fellow brother. And we're going to see what God, how he handles that and how he weaves the story through that. We're going to be learning through the theme and the framework that man's hatred And cultness and reluctance towards kingdom living is a very prevalent issue in today's culture and even inside of our of our church walls, believe it or not. And then finally, we're going to be learning to the theme and the framework. This is number five, that that man must resolve and make a choice whether they're going to be obedient and tap out and follow God, or they're going to be disobedient and fall into rebellion. We learned that in verse 2, God gave three commands with, with kind of three directives, I should say, um, of what he called Jonah to, and it's and very practical, and it's very real and present and active in our relationship with the Lord to this very day. And if you don't remember, it was to arise, Jonah, to go, Jonah, and to call out about some specific things. And, and therefore, most often, we learn that when God speaks, he does so with that intentionality and, and that expectation that 
that we get that he's literally calling us to arise from wherever we're at in a specific situation in our life, in a relationship, in something he wants us to do. Then he tells us to go. Go get active. Go do something. Do it immediately. Obey. Trust me. Take a, take a faith walk with, with me. And then finally, hey, I'm calling you to call out something for my glory, for the sake of the gospel, and for our ultimate, for our ultimate good. And finally, folks, we learned in verse 3 that Jonah, though hearing the call to arise and, and go and call out, folks, Jonah chose to run away from what God was calling him to do. And there was going to be heavy, heavy consequences for Jonah as a result. And, and that brings us to today, part part two of our series titled Godly Costly, uh, I mean God's Costly Response to Our Costly Rebellion. And this is going to be the first half of that conversation. And I want you to start acclimating yourself right now to a to a totally different style of, of genre uh, of, of biblical literature, namely in the book of Jonah. And, and that's going to come with um, us approaching these sermons in a different way that, I, that I'm going to preach and how we choose to unpack that now as, as a church. And it's not going to be a, a better way or, or a worse way, but it's, it's definitely going to be a different way because we're moving from kind of dog and, and systematic beliefs and systems. That's the Pauline epistles. He, he creates categories of thought for us to think through things like faith and obedience and justification. And now we're moving to story mode, folks, as we enter into the narrative of the Old Testament Bible. So, so today, we are largely going to focus our time on unpacking the scripture line upon line and, and verse upon verse. And we're going to find areas where we can have some relevant application. And, and after that, I'm going to say a few more exhortations after that, and then we're going to pick up the rest of that next week. But okay, no, no more waiting, no more waiting. Here we go. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Here's, here's what the Lord, the word of the Lord says. It's, it's on your screen. Now, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Okay, so let me just right now jump in with this very important question for us to all think through today. Okay, here it is. It's, it's on your screen. Do you, like you as an individual, do you think God's energy, energy at the beginning of this story is one of someone who is super ticked or, or instead super compassionate in the way that he starts off this conversation with Jonah based on the text that we just read. Because, because if you isolate these two verses, you might be thinking, oh man, Jonah, you better get your gear and your army ready because your God, he's about to go to war and destroy some mofos out here. Like, like it almost sounds like God is angry and he's, he's really hostile towards the Ninevites and this whole situation, right? Like, Jonah, tell them I'm on my way about the evil that's set before them. I mean, my goodness, that sounds pretty scary to me. It literally appears like God's wrath is just around the corner for, for these people. But, but folks, what if God actually was telling Jonah in that moment that he's fully aware that the Ninevites have been blowing it terribly in categorical amount of ways? Like, despite it all, what if the energy and the desire that God is most activating with the resources of his intentions and how he's going to intervene is to actually provide an opportunity for the Ninevites to experience, folks, 
redemption. Because, folks, that is exactly, exactly what our God chose to do. That's his disposition that we see he's taking on in these verses. And here's what's so crazy. Jonah was totally aware that this was God's intention as God declared it. The whole time, Jonah totally knew that God was seeking to forgive these people, to bless these people, to cleanse these people, and to offer them salvation and an opportunity for redemption. Like, what a beautifully difficult picture of our God, right? Okay, so, so, so I want to know what you truthfully, truthfully think about that reality of what God was intending to do and what he was intending to do through Jonah in light of what we learned last week about the Ninevites. Like, when you hear God's name for yourself personally, when you hear that kind of a stance, what happens in your heart? Like, do you experience joy or hostility? Or are you open or resistant? Is it, is it peace or is it confusion? Like, what happens in your heart? Like, when you hear God's name in general, do you th- often think of a loving, loving, good, good father or, or a distant, hostile, and angry dad? Because I just want you to know that all throughout scriptures, all throughout scriptures, God always comes to us as a good good father, folks. And that is a very important truth for you to really build your life upon, not only today, but for the rest of your life. Like, like seriously, you have no shot. I mean, no shot at the Christian walk if you don't land the plane that our God on high is a really, really, really good father. When, when we are in distress and we get off track and, and God addresses us as his children, he says things like, What can I do for you in this moment? How can I help alleviate this heavy burden that you're experiencing in your life? Like you really need to move out or beyond or through or in the opposite direction that you're tracking in this behavior, et cetera, et cetera. Like folks, that's how God deals with us. That's his disposition. That's his energy towards us. That's why he paid the costly price with Jesus's life which ultimately served as a sacrifice, namely to atone for our costly folks, our costly rebellion, hence the title of today's sermon. Okay, okay, but here goes Jonah in verse 3 through the beginning of verse 4 regarding God's disposition of wanting to intervene and rescue and heal and save and redeem. Like, here goes, here goes Jonah's response in verse 3. Let's, let's check this response out. Here, here it is on your screen. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That's a mistake. He went down to Joppa. That's another mistake. And found a ship. Another mistake. Going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. Oh man, that's a costly mistake, literally. And went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4 says, but the Lord. Oh, man. But the Lord, but the Lord, but the Lord. Man, you should have those three final words <laughs> underlined in your Bible or perhaps even commit them to memory. You see, the Lord is so faithful and he's so able and willing to deal with you and me in our rebellion and sin. 
towards him, folks. He, he stays so committed and so stable and so ready, even when we are most unstable, most inconsistent, and most unfaithful. Okay, okay, let's just keep tracking. We have, we have so much to look at. Let's look at verse 5 and go a little bit deeper now. Uh, so, so, but the Lord, right? But the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Verse 5, then the mariners were afraid. You can say mariners or mariners, either way. Okay, okay, so these guys were known as mariners or mariners, and, and the term mariner is an old-fashioned term that was used back then to describe a sailor or someone who spent most of their working life out on a boat in the ocean. And these, and these mariners specifically, man, they were freaking out. They were radically freaking out on this specific boat at this specific time on the ocean. Now, now these guys in particular were in charge of some very important cargo. I just want you to know contextually, they were in charge of some very important cargo that they were employed to transport from, from one location to another. And this particular journey of this transportation, folks, was going to be about 2,500 miles long at sea, historians account for. So, so all these guys would have had to check their, I'm afraid of the ocean and, and some storms type of an attitude and feeling at the door real quick as a prerequisite to even do this type of work. Are you tracking? Because you're not allowed to be afraid of when your job entails, you're not allowed to be afraid of storms and some turbulent waters when your job in entails that you travel 2,500 miles, almost uninterrupted at sea back in history before we have anything that we have in 21st century of technology. So, so literally, it would have been a prerequisite for turbulent waters to be expected, for stormy nights to be expected. This was, this was expected in their, in their experience. Are, are you tracking with me? Yet, yet there was something, something very different about this storm in particular. It, it wasn't normal. There was something distinctly unnatural about the pattern and, and the energy of the storm that completely freaked these guys out. And I mean, it freaked them out real, real bad. Okay, so let's keep track and see how these guys react in the next part of, of verse 5. And so, so the, it says in verse 5, Then the mariners were afraid, and each, ready? And each cried out to his God. Now, now that would have been a scene to witness like we're all at the movie theaters, if you're, if you're asking me personally. It would have been incredibly dramatic and, and captivating, honestly, at the, at the same time. Like, can you imagine like five to seven, maybe ten guys, and they're screaming and they're freaking out, and they're saying, hey, hey, Benny, Benny, it's your turn. Call out, call out to your God. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Start naming as many gods as you can. And then Benny's like, I am. I named everyone I can think of. I'm running out. What about you, Derek? Give it a try. Ah! Like they're freaking out. Okay, okay, so jump in the scene with me. Like everyone is calling out and they're screaming and they're shrieking and they're hyperventilating and they're freaking out and calling out to any God that they think will listen. These men were under great distress and they were petrified about their current situation. And it's just so interesting that their response and what they chose to do was to call out to a bunch of gods that they had no previous relationship or experience with. And, and you might have heard this before, so this is a timely time to say it, but there's no such thing as an atheist, folks, when life and death all of a sudden 
comes into comes into balance. Like like all of a sudden, when things get tough to the point where life and death are are, are really um at stake, everyone all of a sudden becomes instantaneously religious. It's just part of our design. Like all of a sudden, everyone wants to pray and starts offering petitions and and vows and omens and things like that when life and death are in the balance. Okay, so so you got these guys and they're offering up crazy prayers and vows to every god that you can imagine, folks. They were acting bonkers and they were ripe with fear. Are you tracking with me in this story? This is not for the children only in children's church. This is for all of us. Okay, so so let's keep tracking through more verse 5 because it continues to get get serious and real and scary and and legit. Here here we go. Okay, so let's review verse 4. But the but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Verse 5, then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it, folks, to lighten it for them. Okay, pay attention. All of a sudden, these guys don't primarily care about their day job. Are you tracking with me? That is not their priority. I mean, these guys were hired to bring very important, expensive, we'll talk about that in a minute, cargo from, from point A to, to point B and their entire livelihoods depended on it. Folks, when you do a 2,500-mile journey back then, we're talking about four to five months easy of your, of your life. That's half a year's pay. Don't, don't not hold that intention. you got to make this Bible. This is a half-year annual payment that's at stake. Yet life and death is now in the balance, and, and all of a sudden, their priorities, folks, their priorities are changing. And they're changing real quick. So, so these guys are like, we don't care. We don't care about the cargo at all right now. We would rather live, and we, don't de- we definitely don't want to die. Therefore, let's throw this cargo off the boat right now. Get after it, and let's go. Like, even though we're going to probably, this is what the guys are saying, even though we're going to probably show up to these seaports empty-handed and face heavy consequences, we're going to see that in a minute, and even though we will potentially have to face those consequences, we'll just have to deal with it. Throw the cargo overboard. And, and that's what happens, folks. Folks, I want you to hear this right now through the context of this story with Jonah and everything else. That's what happens when you're not walking in the will of the Lord, by the way. Day by day, things start flying off your boat that you don't want to lose, but you have to. And it happens at the most inconvenient times. And, and pretty soon, you find yourself so seasick from your own life and things start to get so upside down that you're saying, how in the world did I get to this place? But, but what you don't realize is there's usually people all around you in your life, and they're saying underneath their breath, not to your face, that's the culture we live in, underneath their breath, well, just replay the tape, Brandon. It, it's obvious to all of us what's going on in your life. Brandon, you started running away from the Lord, and you started blowing stuff off of your boat in the process. You're just not opening your eyes. Okay, okay, so let's get back into this. So, okay, so these mariners started throwing off cargo left and right from the ship to attempt to lighten the reality of their situation. Hold that. They're trying to, there's a problem going on, and they are trying to throw cargo off to lighten the load of their situation. And, and while all this is going on, what do you think Jonah's doing? I mean, you got seven to se- five to seven to ten guys, and they're freaking out and they're shrieking and, and throwing cargo off and being active and sweating and trying to solve a problem. What 
What is Jonah doing? Let, let's take a look at the last part of verse 5. We're going we're gonna to see that right here. But, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part. Wow. He went down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast. Folks, he was fast asleep. Okay, so, so these mariners, they're, they're panicking upstairs. They're, they're making up false gods. They're, they're crying out to every god you could think of and demigods, and they're throwing precious cargo left and right off their ship. And check this out. This dude, Jonah, is downstairs sleeping. Are you kidding me? This dude, Jonah, is, is on z trying to gain that revitalizing eight hours of sleep while Armageddon is happening outside. Are you crazy? Okay, okay, look at this. Verse 6. This, this story is this story is legit. So so the captain came out and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, Jonah, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Folks. The captain is so incredibly confused in this moment with Jonah's nonchalant, sleepy attitude towards the great danger that's clearly around all of them, including Jonah. And that's why he challenges Jonah right here in the text to join their efforts and start seeking out whatever God that Jonah might know of. The, the captain's like, excuse me, Mr. Jonah. We are calling out to the moon God and the star God and the tree God and the fish God and the sand God and the fingernail God and the skin God and the ooh, butterfly God. And, and we're not getting any results. Like, wake up, you sleeper. Get active. Help us. Start calling out to whatever God you know of. <laughs> and the stormy story continues on now in verse 7. Here we go. And, and they said to one another, come, we don't know what's going on. Let us, let's do this. Let's, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Folks, they know this is not no natural storm. Somebody screwed up. Let's figure out who it is. So they cast lots. And folks, what do you think happened? The lots, folks, the lots fell on Jonah. And so the mariners, they're, they're petrified and they're exhausted from the impending danger and impending death all around them. And so in desperation, they're trying to figure out what and who and why and how this whole storm is being caused and, and why it's coming upon them in the way that it is. Like, lean in. These guys were so aware that something unnatural was going on. They, they were radically confident that they knew someone amongst them was blowing it in their lives in some way and was causing this. And so they were trying to activate to figure out who it was. And, and, so, and so when the lot finally fell on Jonah, all attention from that point on, folks, all eyes on that boat with these men, they were square on and they were pointed at Jonah. Let's, let's take a look at, the, at verse 8. It's on your screen. So, okay, so, so now that the lot has, has fell on Jonah, uh, all these men, the mariners, the, these, these, these boatmen, they, they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. They're talking to Jonah now. Like, what is your occupation? Uh, where do you come from? What's your country? And, and what people are you? 
Oh, okay. So, so at this point, Jonah is in real big trouble. Are you tracking my man, Mr. Jonah? He is seriously in some quicksand. His sin, folks, has officially caught up with him. And he's about to start paying those heavy taxes and those heavy prices for the decisions that he made that we've been talking about last week coming into this week. I mean, just imagine the scene with me. Just imagine this scene with me, just for, just for a moment. There is a raging and insidious storm, and it is hissing and whirling all around Jonah and these guys in the middle of the ocean. The waves are growing so large that they are legitimately threatening to obliterate this boat and these men in one sweeping blow and the whistling and the hissing of the wind and the sound of the storm sounded like something probably from a rated r horror film and and the sound of the thunder and the lightning that w was cracking was so palpable that, that i imagine that the wood underneath their feet probably reverberated every time bang the lightning the lightning pierced the night sky folks here, here's the contest historically hundreds of thousands of dollars in our context worth of precious cargo that they were transporting from point A to point B on a 2,500 mile journey was being thrown off or was falling off and these men, folks, here's the context, they would never be able to repay it. The cargo was sinking to the bottom of the ocean and these men couldn't do anything about it. And, and you have these big, burly, strong boatsmen whose voices were shrieking and crying and, 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 and calling out to any god that they could think of. And every moment that was going forward, more cargo, folks, was being lost. It was being lost to the sea. And while all this is going on, while all this is going on, they realized from Jonah's dismissive, callous, cowardly, disinterested disposition that he was clearly the one at fault. He's not responding right. And, and Jonah and his sin, Jonah's rebellious spirit had brought this lifetime, we're never going to be able to repay it back type of ripple effect upon these men's life. Okay, I don't think you're hearing me. Okay, let me explain. Eyes up here right now with your with your mind so clear eyes up here with your mind so clear folks even if these guys somehow made it out of this situation i want you to know that these men would still have to pay off this cargo and they would spend their whole lives having to recoup this deficit in fact Historians, biblical historians and theologians say that these men would have spent their entire lives from that point forward paying off this debt directly because of a decision that Jonah made, folks. Folks, if these men, if these mirrors, these boatsmen failed to do so, I want you to know historically at this time that they would be either imprisoned for the rest of their life or worse, they'd be executed. Can you imagine your momentary sin destroying your own life? And can you imagine someone's momentary sin destroying 
someone else's life. And, and the sad reality is we can understand that, don't we? We, we all know stories, either personally or from a distance, of, of people's lives that have been ruined because of someone's momentary sin towards them or towards themselves and the ripple effects of how that affected other people for a lifetime. Okay, so are you seeing the story come to life now in your heart? These guys are literally screaming and crying and, and they're grilling my man, Jonah. And, and they're saying, Jonah, what in all the seas did you do, you fool? Don't you realize, Jonah, that we have wives and children? Like, Jonah, who are you running from? Like, are you a pirate or something? Like, what job do you carry? Is it illegal? Did you bring illegal things onto our boat? Like, like, what do you have us mixed up in? And where do you come from, by the way? And are you running from some kind of a ruler or a king who has maybe magicians at his disposal? Like, what is it that we're experiencing that right now? Who's your family? What is your, rep your reputation? Like, Jonah, brother, we let you on this boat, and we did a kind and friendly act like a neighbor. But Jonah, what have you done to us? <laughs> and, and folks, Jonah is really starting to feel it now. He's feeling it now. Jonah is seeing the ripple effects of his sin and the heavy damage, folks, that is causing other people. Jonah recognized that these men would never... See, see, this is what I mean by we're in a privileged position. We're in a privileged position when we read the text. We have to read the text and know that we are privileged. Like, Jonah, he's living in this context. He lives here. He's not distant. It's not a thousand, two thousand years later like us where we can't emotionally connect. Jonah most definitely knew that these were simple boatsmen and they would never, ever be able to afford to pay back this cargo and that this was not only going to be a life sentence for them, Jonah knew radically this is going to be a life sentence for for their sons as well. They were going to be bond servants. Like, folks, if you didn't know historically, if you couldn't pay a debt back then, it was automatically transferred and passed on to your son. Are, are you kidding me? Jonah was recognizing that these men were going to spend the rest of their lives most likely hating him. I mean hating him for what he had done. The decisions he made were causing so much harm and were hurting so many people that had nothing to do with the sin-filled decision that Jonah had come to. And, and that happens so often in our lives. We think, it's just my sin. It doesn't matter. It's just, it's just my sin. I can't tell you how many people I've counseled in pastoral situations. It doesn't, Pastor Brandon, it's just my sin. It's just my sin. I'm going to do what I want to do. I want, I want, I want. It won't affect anyone else. But folks, it doesn't work that way. Man, man, that's a, that's a lot right there. Okay, so let's see how Jonah is going to reply to, to all of this. And, and I imagine the next words from his mouth should have been great tears and, and, and sorrow. But, but unfortunately, folks, that's, that's not what we're going to see. Let's, let's track now to verse 9. It's, it's on your screen. And, and he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. <laughs> and let me tell you, when Jonah said that, I, I imagine these, these guys are probably like, wait, what? What? 
what did you just say? And, and Jonah probably was like, I, uh, I said I was a Hebrew. And they're like, no, 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 not that part, not the Hebrew part. And then Jonah's like, oh, you mean when I, when I said that I fear the Lord? And the guy's like, no, 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 not that part, not that part, that other thing you said. And then Jonah's like, what? You mean when I said that I serve the God of the glorious heavens? And they're like, no, man, not that part, that other thing you said. And then Jonah's like, I, 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 you mean the part when I said that I, I serve the God of the heavens who made the sea? the sea and the dry land and then the guys are like yeah 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 that part that part that part oh oh ding 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 clarity folks is starting to settle in for these guys are you tracking they realize that jonah was on the run and it wasn't fun and that he had just something really really wrong and that his god the god that he declares is the lord over the seas and the dry lands Folks, it was this God that was activating this gigantic bathtub that we call the ocean, and it was performing a very, a very angry dance for them all. And, and they literally were in the storm of their lives, and everything, folks, everything's starting to make sense now. They, they were literally experiencing that, uh-oh, Jonah screwed us moment that nobody wants to awaken to. Folks, Jonah had been stuffing and suppressing what he knew was wrong in his life. And I need you to think right now, application-wise, about your life and your story. He was stuffing and suppressing what he knew was wrong in his life. Jonah had become a professional, some of this is true of us today, he had become a professional and telling himself, everything's going to be okay. I don't need to focus on this. I'm not going to look back. I'll deal with it later. Jonah had convinced himself that no one would ever really know what he did and that he would never have to deal with it if he just kept running away from his problem. Jonah had convinced himself that this was just his decision. It's just mine. It's my decision, my cross. It's not going to affect anyone else. There's no such thing as, as ripple effects. Jonah had become a professional at rationalizing and strategizing ways in which he could simply deal with his sin later. Oh, how the people of God fall into the fiery dart trappings of saying, I'll deal with my sin later that that maybe just maybe i can get off the hook if i run far enough away and 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 honestly maybe it's working jonah was probably thinking because if god really cared wouldn't he have wouldn't he have already stopped me from sinning and doing all these bad things after all i've already been on the run for a couple months now but but god is like in the story god's like no no, Jonah, the time has come now, and we're going to deal with your costly rebellion, Jonah, and we're going to dive deep into this, Jonah, and we're going to do that right now. And so, and so these boatsmen, these mariners, these cargo-transporting ordinary men were figuring it all out now. Just, just look at verse 10. It's, it's on your screen. Okay, then the men were exceedingly afraid. They were, do you see the text? You got to read it again on your own. They were afraid, and now they were what? Exceedingly afraid. And said to him, what is this that you have done? For, for the men knew that he was fleeing for the presence of the Lord because Jonah had told them. Okay, so let me just, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been rebuked by an unbeliever? I'm dead serious. 
Has, has someone that's not even a Christian looked at your life and then called you out and said, what are you doing at this place? What are you doing with this person? What are you doing in that situation? Aren't you a Christian? Because folks, I'm sorry to say, I have. And man, it was embarrassing. Like I remember being in college, um, my freshman year in college, and I was clubbing at this really nasty, sleazy place. And I was trying to be cool and I was trying to fit in and I was acting and talking in a way that wasn't Christ-like at all. And, and an unbelieving friend of, of a friend of a friend that I knew ha, um, from another party school happened to be there. And he saw me and he came up to me and he was shouting in my ear because it was so loud in there. And he was like, wow, Brandon, I would never expect to see you here. I thought you were a Christian. What are you doing? And let me tell you, folks, that is not a great place to be as a Christ follower when you've got an unbelieving carnal people telling you they're surprised to see your presence. Like when you have an unbeliever that's surprised to see you and they start questioning you and rebuking you, you know that you're off track and the wheels are falling off as a Christ follower. Okay. Okay. So that's what's occurring right here with Jonah. You got unbelieving pagan men and they're calling my man Jonah out. Okay. So let's keep tracking now into verse 11. Then they, the boatsmen said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous or, or angry. Oh man, that's, that's weighty. And, and that's a very honest question, isn't it? Like it's what we all would have been asking ourselves either audibly or, or internally within our heart. And, and just to be clear, the main question that they were asking wasn't necessarily how can they be right with God, although that would have been the right answer in and of itself. We need to get right with God right now on this storm. No, but instead what the guys were really asking at this point so far in the story was, hey, Jonah, what needs to be done, man, to make this circumstance, this circumstance go away? And, and that's so true of us, right? We, we usually start with that when we go to counseling or we seek a mentor. Oftentimes, it's, our, our first response is, I just want this bad feeling to go away, this bad situation to go away, this feeling to go away. And, and that's where these men are at so far in the text. They're like, hey, how do we make this circumstance go away. Okay, so so here's Jonah's answer to them, and I want you to know right now up front that his answer is most definitely not the right answer, but but it is his answer. So here we go, verse verse 12. He said to them, this is Jonah speaking, man, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great temptest has come upon you. Okay, okay, so I think Jonah at this point, folks, was so rebellious and, and so ashamed and so uh, rebel, uh, embarrassed and so unwilling to relent from his position. And, and he just didn't want to just be God's man in that moment. And he didn't want to go in God's direction. So, so he said, you know what? Hey, guys, I realize that this is all my fault. So if you want to know how to fix it, just, just kill me. Get rid of me. Seriously kill me. I've ruined your life. I've destroyed your families. I've ruined your sons. I've cursed your sons. Woe is me. Just kill me. I'm not worth saving. Okay, I want us to think through this a bit deeper because we have so much to cover in the Jonah series. Okay, eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Like, really, Jonah? Really? 
Are you really going to act and be this fatalistic right now in this moment? Jonah, are you really just wanting it to all end right here in this moment? Is this really what you think about the God that you serve, Jonah? Put yourself in the text right now. Is that what you think about this? Jonah, wouldn't it be and wouldn't it work out so much better for you if you just confess your sin and you just repent, Jonah? Why are you being so stubborn, Jonah? Don't you believe that the God that God would calm the sea and perhaps even restore not only your situation, but the situation for, for all these men? If you just bowed your knees, repented, and submitted your will. Hey, Jonah, if you just took a break for one moment of trying to be your own little boss, doing your own little deal, if you just came to your senses and operated and activated your spirit-filled disposition with humility, wouldn't this, this is Jonah, brother, sister, right now listening to the sermon, wouldn't the God that was literally sending you on a scandalous mission to rescue and redeem and offer salvations to the people known as the Ninevites. Jonah, if you just repented and submitted, might God not offer and save you too? Jonah, this rebellion is costing you and other people around you so much. Do you really want to pay what it's going to cost for this costly rebellion? But folks, <laughs> Jonah, Jonah wasn't even willing to go that far. He, he couldn't see redemption for himself in this moment. Folks, Jonah was just done. He, he was prepared to quit right there on the spot. And he, he, he was just preferring to die, folks, to die in shame. Jonah was like, listen, I'm a sinner and I can't be saved. I've screwed up. And above all things, I don't want to help those little stinking Ninevites. I can't get my heart to get to get on board with that. And, and perhaps Jonah was so whacked out by now in this moment that his thinking was at the point where he falsely believed that God wouldn't listen to his prayers and, and concerns anymore and that he couldn't maybe wrestle with the Lord through the difficulty of, of helping and, and offering something to people that he had so much hostility towards that it caused him much pain. Maybe Jonah made the devastating mistake that he couldn't talk with God about his concerns. Have you been there before, people of God? Maybe, just maybe, Jonah believed that the, the only way things were ever going to get right in his life was to sacrifice so heavily to the point of death. Like, have you ever been that troubled before in your own life? Just be honest. You know, where you're so consumed and you're, and you're so ashamed and you're so angry and bitter of, because of your sin and, and your shame and the decisions that you made that the only way out that you believe in your mind that's possible for you is to punish yourself and to punish yourself and to punish yourself and to punish yourself and to punish yourself. And if that's you, God would say, really, really, Brandon, really, whatever your name is, you really think it's up to you? Like, 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 aren't you aware of the costly price that I was willing and paid for you? Like, 
I paid for it on the cross. Like, I don't need your sacrifice, is what God would say. I just need your obedience. The, the, the costly sacrifice, folks, is God's part. And it was done on the cross. Can't you see? And, and the obedience, folks, that's our part. And it's done when we radically trust God with our actions and we follow Him and we submit to Him. So, so God, folks, God wouldn't even accept Jonah's sacrifice of, 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 of his life. He didn't want that from Jonah at all. And we're going to see that in a real way in just a little bit, that despite Jonah's costly rebellion and inclination to just end it all, God's going to keep him alive. And, and God's like, no, Jonah, I'm not going to do things your way. I'm God and you're not. I'm the hero and you're the zero. And I have a plan and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it radically my way. And no matter how hard, this is God talking, and no matter how hard you try to swim against my current and my will, you eventually will, my son, flow down the stream of my providential will for your life. And it ends with you going to Nineveh. And, and as your pastor, RCC, I just want you to know that it's so much better, oh, it's so much better to just tap out from living and rebelling against God. Don't live like that. Like, like God may give you two months or two weeks or two years or 10 years or even 30 years to swim against him and to go against the current. He, he may wait a long time or a short time, but folks, I promise it's going to end with the God of the universe doing things his way on his time without any, any resistance. And you just need to know that. And if you choose to take that path of rebellion, I just want you to know that your life is going to be so stormy all the time. There's, there's constantly going to be lightning strikes after lightning strikes after lightning strikes every time you try to get your life back on track in your human effort. And it's going to cost you so much. There's, there's constantly going to be hissing and, and whistling winds engulfing you and drowning you out with fiery darts and accusations from the evil one as he sits back fades into the background, sips his latte, and laughs at your attempt to rebel and thrive in your life. There, there's going to be relational and emotional and spiritual losses that you're going to go through. And you're going to try to throw off cargo off of the lifeboat of your situations. And it's, it's not going, folks, it's not going to save you. So, so, so though Jonah indeed had his cheap solution that he was trying to activate, it was incredibly empty and it was going to produce very poor results. Okay, so let's keep tracking now to verse 13. Man, this story is jam-packed. Nevertheless, oh man, that word, nevertheless, nevertheless, no matter, no matter all that Jonah did, no matter the fact that Jonah was, was offering to, to, to die and to throw him overboard, nevertheless, the fact that these men's sons had just received a lifetime sins, nevertheless, that they could be executed, nevertheless, of all these things, including Jonah's offer to kill him, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. Oh my goodness. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Okay, so, so Jonah being sinful and ashamed and rebellious is like, 
Just throw me overboard, folks. Just throw me overboard. Woe is me. I'm the bad guy. Just get rid of me. But what's so crazy, if you did not see that in the text, I'm going to preach this simply but profoundly. These men were more faithful than our man, the Christian Jonah. So, so instead of jumping to Jonah's cheap solution as their first solution and simply throwing him overboard, and you would think they had all their angry, hatred, hostility, look what he's done to their lives. Instead of doing that, their first attempt is to row as hard as they can and to get back to dry land to save themselves and to save Jonah. Folks, Jonah offered to be killed, and these men first responded to save. Oh man, pay attention. Even though these guys had lost enough cargo that would effectively award them the special prize of a life sentence of misery paying off this debt. Even though these guys knew they were going to have to return home and look at their wives and give them the worst news ever and then activate their sons in the worst way possible, even though this is all true, their response, their inclination right here in the text is not to throw them overboard. It's to save Jonah and not kill him. Save and not destroy. Provide for and not condemn. They literally were trying to do a good work here. And, and Jonah the Christian, folks, he should have been trying to do the same thing in this moment, right? Like our brother in Christ should have repented from the destruction that he was causing in his life and in the lives of those around him. Jonah, where's your heart at? Jonah should have prioritized these men and their families and their son's future. It's not just about you. Jonah should have stopped running and stopped whining and stopped strategizing and rationalizing and started listening and repenting and confessing. Jonah should have gotten on his knees and said, I'm so sorry, God. I'm sorry. Please, please forgive me. Folks, Jonah should have been doing the same thing these men were doing praying and repenting and trying to get back home. And for Jonah specifically, he should have been trying to get back home literally and spiritually with the Lord. Okay, okay, so, so these guys are trying with all their heart and all their might to do the right thing. And, and, they're, and they're rowing and they're rowing and they're rowing and they're rowing and they're trying to navigate to get back to dry land. But folks, while all this is going on, Jonah wouldn't even lift a finger to join them in this effort. Like while they're working as hard as they can and they're sweating and drenched in sweat and the storm is overtaking them, Jonah didn't even have it in himself at this point of his seared conscience and sin and callous heart to even want to save himself, folks. Oh man. And, 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 and folks, RCC, isn't it so hard to save a friend or a loved one when you see them going down the wrong path and they don't even want to be saved like it's the hardest and it's the most sad thing to witness isn't it like i know i've personally been a part of trying to save people from their own demise that don't want to be saved and 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 it's a really tough thing to witness okay okay so so eventually these men realize that they're not going to be able to save themselves or jonah no matter ready no matter how much human effort they activate within themselves. That's key. They finally realize that their human effort 
could not solve what was most clearly now a spiritual problem. Oh, that's deep. I'm going to say it again, all the implications there. They finally realized that their human energy and effort could not solve what was most clearly now a a spiritual problem. And so they put down their natural human efforts and they picked up the supernatural. Folks, these pagan, unbelieving men were taking their first baby steps towards God. Praise Christ. Just just look at what happens next for yourself, because you may be thinking right now, uh-uh, that's not what's really happening. You'll see contextually as we keep marching forward. Now, now look at this for yourself in verse 14 and 15. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for, for you, O Lord. Uh, excuse me, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Okay, so so all of a sudden, they're, they're praying to Jonah's God, and I don't want you to miss that. Like, like they're praying to Jonah's God, and they're seeking after God's mercy and, and God's intervention. Folks, not once do we see Jonah do that. Not once, but these mariners, these boatsmen, these unbelievers were trying to take a step of faith. And they're trying to fill that gap. I, I still don't quite see it, Pastor Brandon. It seems like they're trying to save themselves. It's coming. Keep, keep tracking with me. And, and just imagine this scene for, uh, to, to the best of your ability at, at this moment. Like, like Jonah is, is fully capable. He's fully capable of jumping into the ocean himself. Have you ever thought about that? We read the book of Jonah. He's telling them, throw me over, throw me over. Woe is me. If you believe that's the answer, Jonah, then jump off. Like, like he was fully capable of jumping to the ocean himself. But he was so rebellious and he's so callous that he not only refuses to seek God and to repent and to cry out to him, but he wouldn't even take the responsibility to jump into the ocean himself. Do you see that? In the text, Jonah would basically make his body limp and force them to commit the murderous act of throwing him overboard, which the men were asking for, like, hey, Lord, like, we don't want this blood of what he's asking for us. Like, like, he's asking them to throw him overboard instead of taking the leap himself. Like, what a first-class jerk, right? And, and so, so here we have Jonah just sitting there, just dead weight, waiting for these men to have to produce this murderous act on his behalf. And, of course, they, they eventually... They eventually did, and but as soon as this is this is crazy. As soon as Jonah touched the water, like like before he was even at the point of officially like drowning and like eyes rolling behind his head, bang! These these boatsmen were back in the Caribbean-like waters again, and there was serenity everywhere. That's what the Bible says. Like like that's crazy. Like this horrific, mind-blowing, hissing storm was raging for, for God knows how long, perhaps hours, and immediately when Jonah was thrown into the ocean, it became like the Bahamas again. Like like dolphins were jumping around and birds were chirping and, and there were coconuts all over the place. You, you get what I'm saying? And, and so Jonah looks around at the at the beautiful sun and, and the dolphins and, and the and the beautiful ocean and I bet Jonah in his in his symbol place, just like we act, was probably having a moment where he was like, Wow well, this was pretty easy. I guess I'm getting off the hook again. Woohoo! Like, like, hey, fellas, don't you see? It's all, it's all better now. No big deal. 
How about you throw me a rope? Everything's, everything's fine. And, and I love this because before Jonah could even finish that arrogant sentence in his heart and, and probably get ready to utter those words out loud, whoop, a fish, a great fish, swallowed my baby Jonah. Hole. And I don't know if that fish like jumped in the air and performed like the greatest sea world act like in a show or or if the or Jonah was sinking underneath the water then the and then the, the the big fish swallowed him underneath like it doesn't really matter but but I know that he got swallowed whole I know that and it was by a fish and and what I know is that Jonah was going to suffer but hear me hear me clearly lean in Jonah was going to suffer despite the calm waters, despite the blessings, despite the relief that everyone else was about to experience and was now experiencing. And that was because of Jonah's cause of rebellion. Folks, when, when our time comes and God deals with us, everyone can be at peace around us, but God is most definitely going to deal with you and I. Now, now there's a lot more um, applications and implications for us to explore later, but, but let's look at verse 16 because here comes the fruit. And I want you to pay attention because our God on high, he's always off after the fruit, the fruit, the fruit, the fruit, the fruitiness is what God is after. Here it comes in verse 16 because this is so legit. Here it is. Then, this, remember, Pastor Brandon, I don't think that they were really pursuing the Lord and taking baby steps. Here it is, verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And if you look that up in the, in the context and you look at the original language, the fear narrative they're talking about is that they were submitted. They were committed. This is the same fear connotation that we see in the New Testament of reverence. Then the men revered and feared and honored the Lord exceedingly. And here we go. Ready? Comma. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made, this is the whole weight, vows. And the word vow translated means this, and they made the decision in Christ. Oh, man, all of a sudden, these men made their decision in Christ, or in our context of how we would call it. That's legit. God used Jonah's situation to reach these men who were far from him right where right where they were at. God activated that faithful Romans chapter 8, verse 28 battle weapon and turned Jonah's bad into these men's good. Praise Christ for the book of Jonah, as we see right here in the text, only in part two, the symmetry of the Pauline epistles when Paul declares, on behalf of God, inspired by God, all things will work together for those who are following God, for God's good, for the good of God's plan. Lean in. After they have received every single, uh, excuse me, after they have pursued every single God they could ever imagine, they prayed to this God, that God, the fingernail God, the ring God, the, the shoe God, the carpet God, and every God you could think of. And, they, and after they received no answer upon no answer upon no answer upon no answer upon no answer. But, but when they finally sought Jonah's God and they saw that, that the God of the universe, Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh, the great provider, actually responded to them when they saw that their human effort got them nowhere, but their cry to the God of the Hebrews brought them great relief. When they saw that, when they tapped out and looked up and linked in to God, 
Good things followed. Folks, it was at that moment that they became believers and stepped right directly into their God story. They moved out of their story into God's story, praise Christ. Like, like they probably started a Bible Belt ministry with worship leaders and stuff later on in their lives. Like, they, they probably started a, a children's ministry with a snorkeling experience or um, for all the Tetrakis, the Tetrakis age kids in, in their villages. Um, that's tongue in cheek. But, but, but just, so you, just so you don't miss this and we don't go, wow, this is so awesome, just to bring the, the tension and the relevancy and the weight of what it means to live in a broken shalom world that we live in, just in case you have been exposed to a, a preaching style or a church context that, that promises emptily that once you become a believer, all things are going to be perfect in your life, I just want to remind you that these men were going to take that nice calm water back to their villages without that $100,000 worth of cargo, and they had a life sentence awaiting them and, and sons who had a life sentence and a possible execution. And I want you to know right now that these men had the joy of the Lord, that, that no matter what was going to transpire ahead of them, they now had God on their side, praise Christ, and that their lives were infinitely better in light of eternity. And that weight and that tension is something that we as believers have to live in the middle of. And we have to trust God in. Okay, okay, let me, let me keep tracking because that, that, that's also for later. I'm, I'm so pumped. God has so much for us. And okay, so while all these men are starting their new spirit-filled, God-submitting, God-fearing, sin-eradicating, storm-trusting lives, I think it's so important that we take the camera on this movie and we turn and we zoom in squarely on the character of Jonah in this very in this very moment. Okay, so let's do that. Let's, let's, let's go to Jonah for a second. There's so much going on in this movie, but we're going to turn that camera to Jonah in verse, in verse 17 here. Here it is on your screen. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. Man, and for three Three nights. Now, now remember, Jonah wanted to die. He was like, just kill me. I'm done. I'm tired. I quit. I'm so rebellious. I'm so sinful. I'm so selfish. Just give up on me. Woe is me. Just leave me alone, right? That's been Jonah's disposition. And, and the Lord's like, based on uh, and the Lord, through his actions of, of the fish swallowing him, is like, no, Jonah. No. You are my son, and I love you, and I'm not going to let you off the hook that easily. Therefore, I want you to know, this is God talking, therefore I want you to know that it's going to be really stormy for you now, and it's going to get really uncomfortable, and you're going to feel immense pressure, literally, get it, or, uh, in, in your life, and, and this is this journey is going to be difficult and, and painful and slimy and, and stinky because of your choices. And, and Jonah, I'm going to be really honest with you. This, this is God talking. You're, <laughs> you're going to go down to the bottom of the ocean of your decision right now and your rebellion is going to cost you heavily like like hey i want you to know that that even though all this is happening i want you to know jonah that that i'm going to be a good good father to you and even in this moment i'm still preparing for you even for you something better something wiser and something more freeing and redemptive in your future like Son, I want you to know. God saying this. Son, I want you to know that that this is going to be a son sacrificingly costly, namely Jesus type of a situation that that I'm going to pick up for you, and I'm going to respond, Jonah, and I'm going to provide for you, Jonah. What you don't realize 
is that I want to provide and pay the costly price. And I'm willing to give the costly response for the Ninevites. And Jonah, what you're not understanding is that I want to provide and I want to pay the costly a price for these pagan boatsmen and mariners who are far from me because I want them to be near to me. But my son Jonah, I want you to know that I also want to provide and I want to pay the costly price for what you've done. Jonah, I'm pursuing you and them and the Ninevites and you all simultaneously. I am the Lord thy God. And, and some of us, we've been there before, right? Like for some of us, the Lord in his love, he had to prepare that jail cell for us, didn't he? And, and in his love for some of us, the Lord had to prepare a suspension or an expulsion from, from school to get our attention. And, and for some of us, the Lord had prepared that opportunity where we we're going to get caught and tripped up and trapped up right dead in our tracks in our sinful behavior. And, and, and for some of us, the Lord had to lovingly um, prepare us for exposing some things that we wanted to keep hidden for a lifetime. But, but no matter what, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord was right there. And he was allowing some of these painful situations and opportunities to occur. And, and even though we were ready to quit and we were so embarrassed and we were so scared and we were walking towards a destiny of having a seared conscience fully and finally separated from God forever, even though we at times were prepared to walk away and I never come back. The Lord, the Lord was like, no, I have a well of a story for you, Brandon. And it's awaiting you. And, and, and if I have to wash you with fish guts, my son or my daughter, then that's what I'm going to do. But no matter what, I'm committed to provide for you the opportunity to get back on track. And, and just to keep bringing this story to life, folks, I want you to know, that the inside of a well, after doing research, and we'll talk about this more later, would have been approximately 104 degrees in temperature. And, um, and uh, scientists and those who work with animals, um, marine biologists say that it is possible to deal with that temperature and that condition. So, so this would not have been a nice and comfortable situation for Jonah at all. There would have been all kinds of toxic digestive juices that were flowing around the fish's belly, contaminating Jonah's body in a permanent way. And I want you to know that when we sin and we rebel against God, even as God restores us, there are going to be casualties. And sometimes there's permanent damage to the proverbial skin of our lives. And, and so, yes, story, uh, I, mean, I mean, sorry. So, yes, folks, there is real severe and often permanent consequences to the choices we make in our earthly lives as a result of our, of our sin. And, and there will also be other things <clears throat> that Jonah was going to experience while being in this fish because the fish was going to keep swallowing things that Jonah wouldn't want to deal with, right? But he wouldn't have a choice because as that fish kept eating things, Jonah would have to deal with, ins well, <clears throat> with <clears throat> excuse me, what was inside the fish's belly. And I want you to know that when you choose to, to, to rebel and walk away from the Lord and you get off track, you're going to deal with things. You're like, I don't really want to deal with this. I don't want this problem. But now that problem is that problem is attached to you. And, and later in, in chapter 2 of Jonah, we're going to see that Jonah finds himself finally having his own kind of aha moment where he says, 
well, Lord, <clears throat> you definitely are in charge. You are the Lord of Lords. You are the Kings of Kings. I see what you're doing. You're right. You're true and you're constant. And, and Jonah eventually would relent. We're going to see that. And he would recant and he would offer a type of repentance. And, and he'd say, okay, let me do what you're asking me to do. I'm ready to do what you've asked me to do. And I don't know if you've had that moment in your relationship with the Lord yet. I just don't. And, and, I'm, and honestly, I don't know if perhaps you need to have it again. But right now, I want you to know radically that this can be your spirit-filled opportunity. Like, like right now, today is your opportunity to just admit before the Lord that your way's not working and to ask from a genuine disposition for forgiveness regarding your costly rebellion and selfishness and hard-heartedness and that sinfulness that's attached to you. And, and listen to me, folks. Lean in. And whether you are someone who already considers himself or herself a Christian and has confessed and professed that Jesus Christ is your Lord, but perhaps you, you know in your heart you've been living unfaithfully, or if you consider yourself someone who's curious about the faith and you're kind of wandering and seeking, and you're desiring clarity and purpose, like rather you need to make a decision in Christ for the very first time ever in your life, or you need to repent and return to Christ for a second time or a fifth time or wherever you're at in your life. I'm going to ask both sides and all sides to pray with me right now in this sermon as we get ready to continue thinking through God's word today. As we look through things, the context and the lens, folks, of rebellion. We've, we've faithfully unpacked the story of Jonah chapter 1, verse upon verse and, and line upon line. So, so now let's, let's kind of drive around the streets of Jonah chapter 1 and see all that God has for us for the rest of the portion of, of this sermon. Okay, so, so let's do that. I want to invite you into that process. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Man. So, Father, in Jesus' name now, as we have read chapter 1 of Jonah, and as the preaching continues to go forth, may you anoint this time for us in a way that causes us to be so responsive by the way, Lord, of life change. Lord, you have been so gracious to us in that we don't need to be tossed into the belly of a well anymore. Because just like Jonah was in the belly of a well for three days and three nights, our Lord and Savior on high, Jesus, was put into the tomb for three days and three nights. And he paid a heavy cost in order that we wouldn't have to die and handle things in this way anymore. Indeed, Jesus, you did it all for us with a costly response. You paid a costly price to our costly rebellion. So, so I pray now, Lord, as we study from that perspective and that point of view, with, with, with grace abundant and abounding all over the place in the text, that you would open our eyes and that you would solve our issues in our heart. And, and I pray, Lord, for myself right now, as your preacher, that I would honor you today and that, and that you would be glorified radically and that we would all leave more impressed with you and more desirous to know you than we've ever been before. It's because of your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Okay, so, so today is all about dealing with this concept of rebellion, folks. It's about hearing God's word and, and oftentimes how we instead choose to just do our own thing. It, it, today's about exploring um, what happens when we make our own choices and how we then have to deal, folks. We have to deal with those, those consequences. Today's about understanding that God's love is sufficient and efficient and proficient and that it's going to win out every, every single time. But, but the question will always be when. It's always going to be when. When are you going to tap out to your way and just let God have his way in your life? Like, make no mistake about it. He's going to win. God is going to win, and there's no doubt about that. He's going to be the winner every single day of your life. That's, that's guaranteed. But folks, as you learn to walk with the Lord and to let God be God in your circumstances, when you allow yourself to be the creation and for Him to be the creator, when you take your position as the creature and Him as the creator, the one who created all things, it's at that point that you can start to experience the daily beautiful wins that God is experiencing every day alongside of Him. Are you tracking? Okay, so, so let me ask you a question. How many of you today can say that you are walking in the perfect will of God in every aspect of your life? Like how many of you can say that? That you're doing everything that God wants you to do according to His perfect will in the text? Just raise your hand right now. Come on, raise it. Who's doing it perfectly? That, okay, right. That's what I thought. It's just us here today, a bunch of screwed up Jonas. Like, I'm glad we all can agree that we're all on equal footing and standing here. Let's keep going through this sermon. Okay, so, so now let me rephrase the question in a different way. Okay, here it is. How many of us want to walk, want to walk in the perfect will of the Lord our God in our lives? Like, like, that's an easier question, right? Like, like we want to do that. We, we want to walk in the perfect will of God. We want to. We really, really do want to. But if I'm being honest, there was a season in my own life where, where, I, where I wanted to, but, but I wasn't always willing to put in the, the necessary effort to live it out. You know what I mean? I, at least for me, maybe, you, maybe you've been just a really holy, spirit-filled Christian your whole life, but there was definitely a season where like, I wanted to, but I didn't really want to p- pick up the workload that comes with the Christian life. Like, there was a time in my life where I was comfortably comfortable, and I loved the label of being a good Christian, but I didn't like all that came with the life of a Christian. Are you tracking? Like, there was a time in my life where I was content, radically content, to be a shiny, squeaky clean public Christian, but I didn't want to be a private Christian. But but today I can I can genuinely say, I can genuinely say as your pastor, oh man, I want to, I want to, I really want to be in the perfect will of the Lord. And and that's why, folks, the the, uh, the story of the prodigal son is such an amazing and favorite Bible story for me. And, and I want you to know it didn't actually happen, but it was a powerful story that Jesus used as an example to illustrate what our heart is like in juxtaposition to our God, who's a really, 
really good father. Okay, so, so here's the quick version of that story. I'm going to kind of unpack it for you real quick in case you haven't heard and this is your first time. So, so there's this father in this story that Jesus is telling, and he's a wealthy man. He comes from influence, and he has two sons. And, and the younger son, he's really rebellious, and he's not wanting to do the right thing, and he wants to be his own little boss and do his own little deal, and, and he wants his inheritance now, and he doesn't want to submit and do the life that's set before him. And so he comes up to his dad, and he rebukes his dad. He yells, and he angers. He says, Dad, I want my money. I want money now. I want to leave. I don't want nothing to do with you. I'm tired of your rules. I'm tired. I don't feel it's best for me. You're holding me back from pleasure. I want to be my own little boss. You're in my way. Give me my inheritance. And the father, with great sadness, he obliges his son. He gives his son, his, this is the quick version, he gives his son all of his inheritance. The son leaves and he vows that he's never going to come back. And, and his son, he actually does really well. He, he makes all, hundreds of friends and, he, and he's partying and he's having the time of his life. That is, folks, until his inheritance. His inheritance ran out. You see, the son never really paid attention in class, and he didn't learn how to steward his money. He didn't know how to manage things, and so he blew it all. And, and as all his money went away, his, his friends, who weren't really his friends, they were users and abusers of, of the privileges that came with being in relationship with the younger son. They all left, and, and the son went into a deep depression, and he was losing everything. And it got so bad for, for this little Jewish boy that not only did he have to get to the point where he had to literally work for a pig farmer and take care of pigs. This was, remember, this was a boy of royalty, and it got so bad to the point where he had to not only take care of pigs, folks, it got to the point where he could only afford to eat with the pigs the pig food. And, and, and these were the dire circumstances that he got in, and Jesus is telling the story. And, and so this, the, the, the younger brother, he begins to eat this pig food, this nasty slop, this royal Jewish boy is eating pig slop right? This is how bad things got for him. And the Bible says that eventually the boy comes to his senses and he goes, what am I doing? Why did I rebel in this way? My whole life is falling apart. And what am I doing here? Like, have you ever been in a situation like that yourself in your life where, you know, when you're like, why am I doing this? And why did I move here? And why did I leave that opportunity? Why did I step into this opportunity? Why did I enter into this relationship with this individual? Why did I make that accusation about that person? Why in the world did I start this bad habit? Okay, so, so it dawns on this, on this Jewish boy that he should go home now and, and just see how his, dad, how his dad's going to react to this whole situation. And the boy, he's thinking to himself, man, the chances are my dad's probably going to backhand me in anger and, and I'm prepared for that, but I'll just have to accept this slap and the painful fact that I'm no longer his son. Because folks, historically at that time, if you did something like this, you would be disowned. And so he's like, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna accept that I'm no longer his son, but at least, at least he'll treat me like his servants. And, and, and his servants are treated better than this pig farmer is, is treating me. So, so I'm resolved, I'm gonna go back and, and I'm gonna submit myself and, and I'm gonna go home. And, and so the son is, he's, he's going through um, in his mind um, over and over again what he's gonna say as he's practicing his apology on this long and arduous road home. And, but what he doesn't realize is that the father has been waiting for him the whole time to take him to the woodshed and to whoop his butt for everything that he did. No, folks, that's not the story. That's not how it happened. I told you, we got to increase our biblical literacy. Folks, that's not the story. Instead, 
the father, when the father laid eyes on his son who had been away for years, rebelling and sinning, when the father saw him, he, he, he began running to his son, and the son began running to the father, and, and even though his son was smelling like nasty pigs, the, the father rips off his robe, and he puts it on his son, and then he rips off his ring, and he puts his ring on his son, and he starts yelling and screaming and telling all his servants, hey, my son's back, my son's back, we're going to throw a party, hey, get the, the, the fattest calf available, kill it, we're, to, we're about to have a feast. And it's all going to be because my son has returned, folks. He's returned home. Folks, the dad was so fired up because his son had been living in sin, yet had repented and resolved to come back and live differently. And you know what mattered most to the father in that moment? Do you want to know what mattered the most? I'll tell you what. It was that his son came back. Period. And, and we've shared this story, right, a few times now at Redemption City Church, haven't we? But, but today, the, the key witness to this story um, from the angle that I want to look at and that I want us to consider, we have never talked about. This is going to be the first time for us here at RCC because the, the focal point and the witness to this account in the context of what we're going to talk about today with Jonah is, is not the father directly and it's, it's not the younger brother, folks. But rather, we're going to put a little focus now on the older brother. That's right. There's another character in this story. We haven't really focused on him yet here at, at RCC. Okay, because, because the older brother, he, he arrives on the scene, right? Coming come into this story with me, and he's wondering, like, what's all this crazy commotion going around? I heard there's a party going on. Who's it being thrown for? Like, what's going on? And, and his father, with glee, runs up to him, and he's like, you didn't hear your little brother came back after all these years. He, he's a bit smelly, but, but he's here, and we're throwing a party for him. And oh my goodness, the older brother, he stops and dead in his tracks, and he's like, whoa, 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 hold on, pops. Wait a minute. I've been here the whole time. I've never offended you. I've always served you. I've never left you. I've never rebelled against you. You never throw me a party. And so the older brother, he gets all self-righteous and indignant, just like Jonah was getting towards God's call and command to arise, go out to the Ninevites. Like, like the older brother, like Jonah, was unable to see beyond and in and through the father's compassion, representative of God's compassion for the lost and the weak and the struggling. Like, folks, can't you see? Jesus made up this whole story illustration about the father and the prodigal son and the, and the older brother so that you and I could see that we often have the heart and we're often like Jonah and the older brother because Jonah didn't want to go to those Ninevites and this older brother did not want to celebrate with his younger brother. Both considered the younger brother and the Ninevites far off from deserving grace and mercy from God or the Father, the authority figure. Both deserved that the Ninevites and the younger brother needed to have heavy and severe consequences. And Jonah specifically believed those Ninevites should die in his eyes. But, but Jesus wanted his disciples and the people in the New Testament context and, and, and God in the Old Testament wanted Jonah to understand clearly, radically clear. He wanted it to be clear that the heart of the Father, the heart of a good, good, loving Father, our God, is to bless 
and forgive and to dwell with the lost and the weak and the struggling. And he does so, so they can radically be found and equipped and become strong and to, be, and to learn to have peace with God and peace with others and peace within themselves. I'm going to say that again. The heart of our God is to bless and to forgive and to dwell with the least and the weak and the struggling so that they'll be found and equipped and become strong and be at peace with God themselves and others around them. Okay, so, so let me just ask you a question right now again. How many of you are walking in the perfect will of God in everything you're doing in your life? And we already clarified None of us can say yes to that, right? Okay, and here's what's most important. God knows that. He really, really does. He knows we can't answer yes to that. In fact, folks, don't you realize that's why we're all listening to the sermon right now? It's to get right with the Lord. It's to increase our peace and to maximize our joy. It's to increase our love as lovers of who God is. It's to deal, folks, every single day with our costly rebellion. But folks, it's to radically learn to accept the costly response and the costly, beautiful price that was paid for us by God in and through His Son, Jesus. It's not only about us being willing to deal with our costly rebellion. We have to learn to accept the radical grace and mercy of our God. Like you and I, right here and right now, we're here to get closer to the Lord, our God. And, and did you know that the God of the universe deals with our life at, at the macro level and the micro level of our situations? Like, okay, track with me. Okay, so the, so the macro level of things are, are the really big and the earth-shattering stuff, whereas the, the micro level of things are the itsy-bitsy small, like Adam, seemingly insignificant stuff that we deal with. Keep tracking. Okay, so, so the macro level of things that we deal with in the arenas of like rebellion and, and submission and, and obedience onto the Lord are, are big things like where we choose to live and, and what church we're going to get involved in and what jobs we take and the person we're going to marry and how many kids we're going to have and are we going to abstain from things like being drunk or, or are we going to abstain from having sex outside of our marriage? Like, like big concepts like that. Like these things are the macro over-identification of, of who we are. And, and don't get me wrong, these things are very, very important. But today, folks, I want us to lean in and to more specifically focus on the micro-level micro level decisions that we make regarding our obedience and rebellion and submission to the Lord. Because whether you realize it or know it or not, your macro-level obedience is the cumulative effect and is representative and reflects the the health of your micro-obedience. Oh man, that's deep. I'm going to say it to you again. Whether you realize it or not, your macro-level obedience is the cumulative effect and the reflection of the health of all the micro-little decisions you make on a daily basis. And, and one little step over here and one little step over there and eventually all the micro-decisions you make Folks, they add up to a macro finality. And, and, and here's the reality. Each and every one of us are going to make some big decisions in the coming future. 
We just are. And as you train yourself to make little micro daily decisions that are right and true and good and full of character and full of submission and and full of obedience to the word of God and and full of desire to please the Lord, to want to please, please, please the Lord, folks, here's the good news. Then when you're faced with real heavy temptation. It's too late to try to activate character that's not there. Because if you train yourself to do the right thing in the micro decisions with full obedience, full submission, full desire to please the Lord, when the heavy temptation comes and you're faced with a clear calling from God or you're faced with a fork at the road, a serious one, and you don't know what to do at the macro level, you're going to be able to make the right decision. Because all those micro decisions would have led to a beautiful macro destination. Isn't that what you desire? In fact, James, Jesus' little brother, he, he speaks to this in a real effective way in his book, chapter 4 specifically. And I'm going to read it to you right now, this passage. He impacts it for us. Here it is on your screen. James says, inspired by God, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. James says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, James says. All such boasting, what is this boasting? When you think you're that much in control, folks, of your own life. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is a sin. Okay, and and basically James is saying that there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with you saying that you want to go do things in your life and that you have um, preferences and things you want to pursue. But what James is saying is that it's really, really important, radically important that Jesus, folks, and this Word of God is the center of all those things that you're pursuing. Like daily, we should live under the anthem, saying in our hearts, Lord, what do you want me to do? Like, Lord, honestly, what do you want from me today in this situation or in this relationship or in this decision that I'm making? And, and though our culture has given us the freedom of speech and the Bill of Rights and our beautiful independence, far too often, <clears throat> far too often, we try to show off our American citizenship and independence to the Lord. Like, who are we impressing? And we go around boasting that we can do whatever we want. You know, we can pursue our happiness and look at me and freedom, freedom, freedom and and stuff like that. But, But as you know that you may have the freedom of choice, but you most definitely do not have the freedom of consequence. Oh man, I'm gonna say to you again, you have the freedom of choice, but you do not have the freedom of the consequences that come with those choices. Like, Like you have the freedom of choice, meaning you can literally do whatever you wanna do. But you have zero, folks, to little control over the consequences that come from those choices that you make. And and God is asking you and me not to be the type of person that demands things their own way all the time according to your freedom. Instead, James is saying that we ought to say, if the Lord wills, if it's what he wants, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to go for it with this or that with all my heart. 
But, but if God doesn't, even if the reasons are unknown or unpleasant to me, if he doesn't want me to proceed, I'm not going to go. And I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay put. I'm not going to take that job. I'm, I'm not going to be a part of that relationship. I'm, I'm not going to be a part of that endeavor. I'm not going to be a part of that activity, no matter how much I want to or I, or I don't quite fully understand. But folks, to do that, it's going to require a submissive and a genuinely obedient heart. And, and that's what we're going for today in part two of the Jonah series, namely to discover if we have a submissive and an obedient heart to just say yes, 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 Lord, to the things he asks for us. And okay, Lord, when he tells us emphatically, no. And, and unfortunately, we're living in a culture that doesn't leave a lot of room for that type of living and, and that type of mentality. As a matter of fact, if we find a closed door in America, we just hire a locksmith to open it anyway, right? Like we'll find someone that tells us what we want is okay and they'll justify our actions according to what we desire. And you know that's true. Like, come on, we've all, we've all done that before. If you're being honest, you know, convincing yourself and finding someone else to agree and to justify actions that you want to proceed with and you don't really want to think critically about it because you want what you want. But James is saying in this text, don't do that. Don't live like that. In fact, James said it best right there at the end of verse 17. The one who knows what's right and doesn't do it, he sins. That's sin, folks. And, and the specific sin that we're talking about in, in, in the context of the Jonah series is the sin of rebellion. So, so what I want to do right now pastorally is as we keep framing everything through the, through the book of Jonah is I want to really lay out three wise pastoral um, ways of thinking through what rebellion isn't. And then we'll talk about what rebellion most definitely is is okay so so let's talk about what rebellion what rebellion is it it's it's on your screen here's number one rebellion is not genuine ignorance repeat after me rebellion is not genuine ignorance folks rebellion is not when you just don't know something you, you tracking with me? It, it's not the, those genuine moments when you say like, oh, I didn't know what I was supposed to do in that moment. I, I ended up doing the wrong thing. I didn't know it though, and, and now I do. Folks, rebellion is not genuine ignorance. But let me tell you, as your pastor, ignorance that continues to go unchecked can most definitely lead to rebellion. So instead, you need to learn to be equipped and encouraged through the Word of God so you don't fall into ignorance in the things that God is calling you to be knowledgeable about. Okay, here's number two. Rebellion is not genuine exhaustion. Okay, what I'm saying is rebellion is not when you feel so overwhelmed that you're tired and you're strapped and you can't see yourself even walking out of the bedroom because you're so overwhelmed. But, but it's, it's not when you're sitting there and you're like, I, 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 I want to do this thing. I don't know how to do it, Pastor Brandon. I don't know how to do it. I can't move. I'm paralyzed. I'm tired. I've, I've tried everything. I've done it. I've done it. I don't know how to keep doing it anymore. But let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, in Christ, exhaustion gone unchecked and that does not submit to God can most definitely lead quickly to rebellion, and I don't want that for you. Instead, 
you need to be lifted up and encouraged by the Word of God and by community to move out of exhaustion into a spirit-filled energy to resolve to try again. And number three, rebellion is not genuine fear. Like, like rebellion is not when you have anxiety and fear that serves as a, like, a real, like a real serious roadblock toward the things that you really do desire and you really want to do them, but you really feel paralyzed and you can't activate. Like I'm just telling you pastorally, I've met with people and I know in their heart, they genuinely are like, man, I want to do this so bad. I want to do, I've wanted to take this step for so long with God, but I don't know how I'm paralyzed with fear. And, and, but let me tell you, folks, even genuine fear that's gone unchecked can most definitely lead to costly rebellion instead. I want you to know that you need to be reminded of the promises of God and be so encouraged and surrounded with community that can help you take that next step or a counselor or whoever it is. But folks, you can't stay in fear because fear leads to rebellion. And, and perhaps God is, is calling you to something right now, right now, but, but you're, you're ignorant about it or, or you're tired or, or, or you're afraid. And no matter what the reason is, Folks, you need to act and you need to respond, praise Christ. And you need to take that seriously right now in your life. Like whatever the reason is, whether you, you're ignorant to it or, 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 or you're tired and exhausted or you have fear, our God on high in the text is calling you and he's calling me and he's calling all people that serve him and call him king to arise out of our fear, to rise out of our exhaustion, to arise out of our ignorancy and our biblical illiteracy and to go and to be those spirit-filled ambassadors of Christ, to trust him and to step over our fear by the power of faith radically activated from our spirit-filled dispositions and to call out that our God on high is a deliverer and a conquering king and he has good news for all nations to hear, folks, no matter the ignorancy, the fear, or the anxiety, we as the people of God are called to arise, to go, and to call out. But, but I want to unpack this, this fear one for a little bit since it's, it's a real great uh, weight for so many people. So, so let's, let's do that a bit more. You see, King Saul, if, in case you didn't know, he was actually the one that was supposed to kill Goliath. Did you know that? But he didn't do it because he didn't know if he could do it, and King Saul was afraid. Yet, yet David, who regularly spent time with the Lord, and it's really important, don't forget that part, because of his regularly spending time with the Lord, man, what happens when we spend time with the Word of God and, and God in an intimate relationship? Because David spent time with the Lord, he stepped up to the plate, he showed up, and he took on Goliath for King Saul. Now, now I guarantee you that David was most definitely afraid of Goliath. He had real fear in his heart about this call that was before him. Yet, yet what's so cool for us to really see is that despite the real palpable fear that David most definitely had, that fear in his heart, it was overwhelmed by David's faith in the Lord. Therefore, he was able to walk out the call that was set before him. I'm going to say that again. Though his fear was true and genuine and palpable, his faith 
conquered over his fear and he was able to move forward. Okay, so, so we've faithfully uh, talked about what rebellion um, isn't, right? We looked at three things that rebellion is not. It's, it's, it's not when we're genuinely ignorant to something it's, it's and, and then we're not doing it. It's not when we're genuinely afraid and paralyzed and we want to do it, but we don't know how to get out of our, of our stuck position. It's, it's not when we're genuinely exhausted and we literally don't have resources or we believe we don't have resources to proceed forward. However, we also learned that our ignorance, our fear, and our exhaustion will not, we won't get off the hook for it. Eventually, folks, that genuine disposition of fear, that genuine disposition of, of, of exhaustion, and that genuine disposition of, of uh, ignorance, folks, it leads to, to rebellion. And folks, it happens much quicker than I think we probably realize. Okay, so 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 right now I want to look at what rebellion, what it actually is now. Like I want to faithfully kind of show you this very short but hopefully productive pastoral definition so we can kind of rally around as 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 the people of God and understand, okay, this is what rebellion is from a from a biblical perspective. Here it is, it's it's on your screen. Rebellion is a direct move. It's a direct action with intentions in the opposite direction that God is calling you to. Rebellion is a direct move in the opposite direction that God is calling you to. Okay, yet, yet so many of us from a mackerel of our, of our lives, we, we focus there and we go, of course, I wouldn't do anything rebellious directly like that. I wouldn't stand in contradiction and, and contrary to, to God. But, but, but so often on the, on the micro level, when God is pressing things on our heart and to, to not hang out with this person and, and to not say these type of comments anymore to, or to perhaps not enjoy this specific Christian liberty anymore because for you it's a vice and it's going to take you down like, like it's here in the in the micro minutia of our Christian life that we often are radically rebellious to our God on high. And we don't follow the Lord and we don't trust the Lord and we choose to act in a rebellious spirit, folks. And so God, who's desiring so much more for us, he doesn't want us to be on this slippery and loose road with our convictions. Like he doesn't want our liberties to turn into licentiousness that eventually leads into devastating sin with devastating consequences. And, and that's why I believe God is going to cause, is going to call some of us um, up and out of our belly of the well experiences right now in this series starting today. And I believe that with my whole heart. And, and the whole goal is that we would all just tap out and, and look up and link in to our God and say, I'm ready, God. Let's, let's do this. I'm ready to do what you've called me to. Now, now, did you know that when Jonah eventually got to Nineveh, he still carried around that bad little attitude in his heart? Jonah, who was filled with frustration, was still saying to himself, Stupid Nineveh. Stupid fish. Stupid boatsmen, mariners. This whole thing is stupid. Like, like, like Jonah was still ticked. And we're going we're gonna to see that revealed in chapter 3 on, on a different day. Okay, but, but let me show you how differently our God is. I want to show you how differently our God is. Jonah finally arrives in Nineveh and utters what he feels is dumb and, and stupid. And, and he, this eight-word long message from the Lord he had to deliver. He didn't like it, but he said it. He goes, 
In 40 days, God is going to kill everybody if you don't repent. In 40 days, everyone dies if you don't repent. That's the message from the Lord. And I mean, clearly, folks, Jonah did not get any preaching lessons because, geez, Louise, what a horrible communicator that really was of God's heart. Like, like, here's what's so crazy. Our God was clearly bigger than anything Jonah was doing and anything Jonah was not doing, folks, in his in his disposition. Let me, let, me, let me show you what I mean. God took Jonah's crummy little message that was filled with anger and bitterness and hate and his itsy-bitsy little small offering of obedience that wasn't with his full and whole heart, and God still saved this entire city through that man and his resistance and his rebellious city. Praise Christ. Folks, every single person came into a relationship with God in the land of Nineveh. The land of Nineveh. Are you kidding me? Like, wouldn't it have been so much better if, if Jonah would have shown up to Nineveh with a good attitude and some of those things he was confessing and sharing in, in chapter 2 will get there later and, and said, okay, God, apparently my way doesn't work and you've blessed me. You've given me a second opportunity. You've, you've paid a costly price. You've given me life. I saw you restore those boatsmen. So, so I'm going to try it your way with my full heart my mind and my soul, like what would it have been like for him to gently and ferociously yet compassionately share about God's kingdom focused commands over the Ninevite situation instead of callously delivering only a shell of God's heart devoid of the love lace substance that was under that was underneath it. But he doesn't do that, does he? Because as the entire city, and how do, you, how do I know? Pastor Brent, how do you know his disposition? Track with me. Because as the entire city begins to repent, our man Jonah is pissed off and he begins facepalming himself. <laughs> He's so angry, he, he heads out, he heads back to the outside of the city and just waits like this. For 40 days for this thing to come to an end, and he's stewing in anger. Like secretly, he's he's sitting there and he's still hoping with all his heart that someone screws up and that God still smokes these mofos. So so that's how we can see where Jonah's heart is. He he doesn't stay and go, wow, I'm worshiping the Lord and I'm seeing people repent and confess. Look at restoration, families, people are healing. He's like, I don't want to see this. I'm out of here. I'm waiting on the outside. Of these walls. Okay, so so let me pastor you for a moment so, so we can get our heads on straight because we're talking about obedience, which means to do God's will. And we're juxtaposing it to rebellion, which means to do our own will in contradiction to God's. You tracking? Okay. Eyes up here. One more time. With your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. So if you aren't careful today, you might misconstrue that what I'm saying is going to appear in your heart as legalistic and, and heavy and, and forceful. Like, like, so let me just clarify for you right now today. The commands of the Lord and what he's asking for you and what he's asking for me to do, both corporately as a unified body of Christ and personally as an individual son and daughter, is not burdensome but 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 how many of us just be honest we we how many of us grew up thinking that everything god wants us to do and is, is burdensome and it's hard and that life 
would would totally suck like like why would we want to give up all these pleasurable things for the lord like we're having so much fun out here like why would i want to give up this habit and why would i want to give up this freedom and and look how much fun i'm having but but the lord says to you and me in those moments no you're not as a matter of fact you've been lied to you're not going to miss out on things you're going to gain things infinitely now did you know that this all started in the Garden of Eden when Satan came up to Eve and asked her if she was basically having a good time? He was like, hey, Eve, are you having a good time? And, and Eve replied back and she was like, of course I'm having a good time. I'm having the time of my life. Haven't you heard? I'm in Eden. Let's do this. God's given us everything that we need. But, but Satan challenged Eve right there and, de and, and deceived her to believe that there was fun and that there was pleasure that she was missing out on. Don't ever forget that in the over-talked-about book of Genesis chapter 1, and it gets boring. Never forget that, okay? It's not boring. It's so critical. It's the origin of sin and the entrance and the breaking of Shalom and the entrance of Satan's reign, and you got to get this intention. Satan deceived Eve, and therefore us, that there was fun, and pleasure and things that we were missing out on. Satan activated that highly effective FOMO, FOMO nuclear warhead that still reigns and rules and takes out millions of people to this very day. And if you don't know, FOMO is effectively a fiery dart method from Satan where he convinces you that you're missing out on things in your life. And, and most of us know how this story uh, ends for Eve, don't we? Satan drops that atomic FOMO weapon on, on Eve and Adam and, and Eden, and, and Eve believes him, and, and, and Adam complies, and, and they engage in costly rebellion and, and partake in something that God considers forbidden. And folks, this is the same exact thing that we struggle with today. I'm just telling you the truth. Satan is constantly throwing fiery darts bang, 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 of accusation and, and empty promises and atomic FOMOs our way on a daily basis. That if we just do this one thing, if we just do this one thing that God says we shouldn't, it's going to maximize our experience and our, and our pleasure. If we would just be just a little bit more rebellious, if we would just keep this one relationship just, just a little bit longer, if we would just engage in this vice a little bit more carefully, if we would, we're going to be happier in the end. If we just do it a little a little bit more. And underneath this, this scheme, right, is Satan's proclamation that God doesn't make life awesome. And instead, God makes life burdensome and horrible. And, and this is the same lie that has been whispered to every ear from the beginning of creation up into this very moment that the words are coming out of my mouth. Satan is constantly telling us, don't set that down and don't walk away from that and don't be disciplined and don't get up early and don't go to bed early and don't abstain and don't reframe and don't do any of that. That's no fun. Eh, don't. But, but I want to pierce into those dark, nasty, slimy trappings with the defensive, light-filled belt of truth from the Scripture, the Word of God, that the commands of the Lord are not burdensome, praise Christ. But let me tell you radically what is incredibly and demonstrably burdensome. And that is disobedience, folks. Doing things your way and the long way and the hard way and the belly of the well way, that, folks, 
That's incredibly burdensome. And we have some brothers and sisters right now listening to this sermon who can most definitely share their testimony about how indeed rebellion, folks, and doing things the hard way, folks, that's, that's what's definitely burdensome. And, and this is a, an all-out galactic battle that has been going on since the beginning of the Bible, since Genesis, up until this very moment. And, and the only question left really is, what are you going to believe? And what are you going to do in response to your belief? What, what decisions are, are you going to make at a macro level, meaning the, the big things in your life? And, and then what decisions are you going to make on a, on a, on a micro level, meaning specifically the, the small, seemingly insignificant things that are radically significant to your life and to the Lord? Like, are you going to trust the Lord today? And tonight, in that situation that you know is right around the corner, in that relationship that you know is waiting for you after this sermon that you're currently struggling with. Like, because each day we're going to be presented with little micro opportunities. We don't always get to make big macro decisions every day. But every day we have opportunities and we are presented with little micro opportunities to make spirit-filled micro decisions. But folks, what are you going to choose? Obedience? or costly rebellion. Because if you choose to do things your way like Jonah did, you're going to end up paying the fare and going down to the bottom of the boat. And I don't want that for you. You're going to end up in the middle of the storm of your circumstances learning to swim as fast as you can. You're going to end up in the belly of the whale of your situations with nasty fish, 104 degree burns all over the precious life that God has given you to live joyfully. But, but here's the best news you're going to hear all day. Here's the best news you're going to hear all day long today. Are you ready for this? When you decide to go your own way and you decide to do your own thing, our God, He does not give up on you. We serve a God that goes after you. He speaks and He seeks. And that is the first theme that I want you to radically see in the Jonah series. Despite our sin, Despite our failure, he speaks and he seeks and he speaks and he seeks. And, and that, and that is good news. But God, but God, but God, but God. Does anybody know where that comes from? This but God anthem and clarity and, 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 and um, an anthem for our lives? Folks, it comes from that beautiful book of the Bible we call the book of Ephesians. Let's look at that right now in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Let's remind ourselves of the beautiful weight of God's energy, His intentions, His design, His order, and how He pursues us and seeks after us and provides for us so radically as we prepare to land the plane today. Here we go. Verse 1 of chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians. And Paul says, inspired by God, and you were dead in the trespasses of and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, namely Satan, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, But God, but God, but God, but God, being rich in mercy, 
towards your circumstances, but God being rich in your in mercy towards your sin, but God being rich in mercy towards your rebellion, but God being rich in mercy towards your ignorance, but but God being rich in mercy towards your exhaustion, but God being rich in mercy towards your fear because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together in Christ by grace by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable Riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh man, that is the best news we're going to hear all night. Folks, that's the best news we're going to hear our entire lives. God paid the costly price and had a costly response to our costly rebellion. And God will never relent in the pursuit of excellence that he has for you in this period of patience, even when we're dumb and we're numb to him. He still seeks after us. And that's good news. Like, like, can't you see? Why do you think Jesus made up the story of the prodigal son for his disciples and those who were following him to hear? And, and why do you think that the younger brother was depicted as one that was so far off and he was in such dire positions? Why did Jesus go out of his way to depict the son doing so terrible to the point where this royal Jewish boy was now at a, a, a meagerly peasant at a pig farm, eating with pigs and sleeping with pigs. Why would God make up, through Jesus, such a gross and nasty story? Here's why. Because when your story and my story becomes so gross and embarrassing and painful and rotten and dirty, you need to understand radically that your God has it covered, praise Christ and has a way out from that. I'm going to say to you again, when your story becomes nasty, smelly, pig-infested, gross and embarrassing and painful and rotten dirty, you need to know that your God has you covered. He's provided it. He's paid the price for it. And he's on the way. And he's giving you a way out. That, that there's a large embrace waiting for you if you tap out and say, God, I'm done. There's a robe that our God has for you. There's a ring he wants to put on your finger and he wants to set you free. That's, that's the gospel. You need to understand that there's, there's no depths of your sin. There's nothing that you've done. There's nowhere you can run. You can go to Tarshish. You can go to Spain. You can go to Australia. There's no height. There's no debt. There's no ruler. There's no, there's no, there's no evil one. There's, there's, no, there's no evil forces. There's, there's no demons. There's, there's no circumstance that can separate you from the Lord. Our God, praise Christ. He's provided the sacrifice. And it's final. Lean in. He wants you to radically know that for yourself. And he eagerly awaits for you to be that type of an ambassador 
for the Ninevites in your life. Oh man, there's two main things we're trying to really uncover today. And it's, it's that God is going to seek after you and he wants to provide for you. And, and that's, the, that's, that's the good part. It's often easier. But he's also calling us to be Jonah and to go to the Ninevites and to offer that same thing to others that we don't want to sometimes. And we've got to step into that. Folks, Jonah chose to learn all of this the hard way. And that's very unfortunate. And there were permanent ripple effects in his life. And I'll be honest, I don't know what happens to Jonah in the end. We don't get to see that in, in the book of Jonah. I don't know where he was when Jonah eventually and finally died. I don't know how Jonah chose to spend the rest of his days and what he thought about God and what he thought about the Ninevites and, and other sinners as he moved forward. Unfortunately, what we do see is that the book ends and Jonah's going to have this major chip on his shoulder throughout the majority of this book. Nevertheless, we need to radically make sure that we understand God's heart of compassion and kindness and his relentless pursuit to save. He's already paid, folks, a very costly price, and he's responded through Jesus, and he's paid for our costly rebellion. Therefore, he will prepare you and me for whatever storm and whatever well that we need in order to gain our attention. May our hearts offer that full attention without that adversity. I can't wait till we get to the next part of the series next time. Let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, your word, your word. Lord, I lifted up the anthem last week that, that the goal of this series was that we would, is that we would all deepen out and become lovers, lovers, lovers of your word. And, and I pray that you've used me as your vessel to preach this story in a way that illuminates and, 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 and illustrates and brings to life the, the colorfulness of, of so much that has going on, Lord, long ago in this historical account. I pray that we have seen ourselves line upon line and verse upon verse and, and theme upon theme in the narrative of, of Jonah and that we could see errors, Lord, that Jonah made and that we would, that we would tap out from those things and we would see um, um, beautiful decisions, Lord, that these boatsmen made and that we would line up with that, God, and that we would most importantly see you right in the center drawing attention to yourself, praise God, and that that would encourage our hearts. Lord, I pray for those who are perhaps stuck with some genuine fear in their heart to step into some things that you have before them. And I pray that they arise and they go and they call out to you, God. And, and I pray for those who are genuinely stuck, Lord, in ignorance and they're just not literate. God, open the door of their heart. May they become, Lord, obsessed, Lord, with this word, this beautiful text, and that they would deepen out in the word of God and move out of biblical illiteracy to great confidence in your word of God. And, and, and Lord, I pray for those who are tired and they're exhausted, Lord, I pray that you act Lord, the ability for them to, to arise and to go and to call out, Lord. And, and I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, for those, Lord, who are far from you, that are, that are perhaps listening to the sermon and, and parts of it don't make sense and, and parts of it's overwhelming, but, but something deep in the belly of their heart says, this is real. This is attractive. 
and I want more. And I, and I pray for those who fully accept you, but, but it's hard, it's so hard to forgive and, and, to, and to provide for those, Lord, who we, see, who we think of as outcasts and, and they're bad and, we, and they're scarlet letter. And I pray that you soften our hearts, Lord, and that we would be willing to join you at these parties and these, these feasts, Lord, that we would join you, Lord, when you reconcile your children back to yourself. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Grace and peace, Redemption City Church.